0: Good morning Uh, i'm pleasantly uh surprised at how many people are in this room this morning i don't i don't know if that's because if you're like me after about three days of being stuck in my home i start acting like jack nicholson from the shining but uh gotta gotta get out of the house that's an awful example i shouldn't have used it but um yeah glad you guys are here it's um it's cold i think when i got here this morning I usually get here about 6:30 in the morning on Sundays, and it was four degrees, and that was just awful, terrible. So, anyways, glad you're here. Glad we have heat. And if we didn't have heat, there's enough of you in here to just kind of generate some heat. So that's a good thing. So, um, all right. So we're back in the Book of First Samuel, and uh, we've been working through this. If you weren't here last week, we did a vision service, so we weren't in the Scripture last weekend. But we're back in it. And if you have not been here at all, as we have been teaching First Samuel. I'll catch you up very, very quickly. And it's it's not an overtly complicated book of the Bible. I hope you've enjoyed it. I think it's a fun book of the Bible. But here's where we're at. Here, here's where we're at. The, the, the book of 1 Samuel predominantly focuses on two individuals. There are multiple other individuals that it talks about that are very, very important, but it really focuses on two. The first king of the Jewish people, which is Saul. And what Saul has done is Saul started off a good guy, but he has become very selfish. He has become rebellious towards God. He has done what he has wanted to do and he has continued to gravitate towards that direction. So he has become a very evil man. It says the Holy Spirit has left God. God is not with Saul anymore because Saul has repeatedly turned his back on God uh, countless times. So that's the first person we focus on. And then we focus on the second person, which is David, and he is going to be the second king of the Jewish people arguably one of the most pivotal individuals in the entire word of God. You know, you got Jesus, you have Paul, you have Moses, and and, and David has to be probably in that top four or five most important figures in the Bible. And so you have the second king of the Jewish people and Saul hates David, hates him, jealous of him, hates his guts. And at this point in uh, 1 Samuel, we just did chapter 23 two weeks ago, we're doing 24 today, Where we're at is Saul is chasing David all around what is modern day Israel, a little bit of modern day Jordan, chasing him all over the place, trying to hunt him down and kill him. And in chapter 23, David goes and helps a group of people in an area called Ka'ilah, and he helps uh, save them from an attack from the Philistines, but they don't appreciate David. They, in fact, they sell him out to Saul and they tell Saul where he is. and, and, And so they kind of, you know, lack of a better way, kind of screw David over. David goes over and he, he, he's in some other areas. And there's this other group of people that are actually from the same tribe that David is from. And not only do they rat him out, they actually become spies for Saul and start spying on David. And so Saul starts pursuing David even, even more rapidly. And where we end in chapter 23, there's a mountain And David is on one side running for for his life. He's got about 600 soldiers, men with him. Not really soldiers, but they're guys that fight for David. He's on one side of the the mountain and he's running. Saul and his army are on the other side and they keep getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And right when they're about to get to David, miraculously, a messenger shows up and tells Saul, hey, the Philistines are attacking our people. You got to pull off your pursuit of David and you have to deal with the Philistines. And so at the last minute, God delivered David, helped David out of this situation. What we talked about two weeks ago is this. Do we trust in the power of God to to help us, to save us, to deliver us, to give us the guidance that we need? Because in chapter 23, we see David tap into God multiple times, asking for his wisdom, his guidance, his direction, his provision, and one of the things we talked about two weeks ago is, is when we only rely on our own power, most of us in this room are very aware that we're limited. Our knowledge is limited, our abilities are limited. Our, 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 our power to, to save ourselves and change things is very, very limited. And so we have to rely on a source of power bigger than ourselves. It's God, right? So what we're going to talk about this week, and it's a, it's a short chapter, and we'll get through it relatively quick. It's a very interesting chapter. What we're gonna talk about in chapter 24 is something extremely practical. Very, very simple, very straightforward. I hope I don't, you know, it, it may be anticlimactic. If you looked in here to just look for like explosions in the sky and crazy deep theology this morning, my apologies, you probably won't get a lot of that. Uh, but what you're gonna to get today is some very simple, usable theology that'll help you. Some Some very practical, applicable stuff. And what we're going to talk about is this, we're going to talk about as Christians that we need to strive to live in this tension or this balance of wisdom, right? Making wise decisions, smart decisions, and and gentleness, love. That's going to be centered on, and we will talk about a little bit later in the sermon uh, towards the end. Jesus says it this way, that we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves both of these things simultaneously. That is not easy. It takes work. It takes a lot of prayer and the word of God, but we are to not go to either extreme or the other. We're to live in a balance of wisdom and gentleness, right? Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. That's what we're gonna talk about today. So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything will be in there. Everything will be on the screen behind me. If you have a Bible, we're in the Old Testament. We're in the ninth book of the Old Testament the 24th chapter, and um, it's only broken into three parts. We'll get through it pretty quick. And uh, I hope you leave here today again with just some very practical knowledge that you can use in in virtually every situation in life, okay? So let me pray and we'll dive into this and um, we'll see where God takes us, all right? Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for everyone in this room this morning. God, I thank you uh, for a safe, warm place to come and to worship And to hear your word, I pray, God, that that, that as we get into your word today, Lord, even though it may be something very simple and, and, and very practical, God, Lord, that we absorb it and that we use it and that it helps us in our daily life, God. Lord, we thank you for everything you've done for us, God. Pray that you bless our church. We pray for every church in our community. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those communities. And um, Lord, we just pray that as we, as we study your word today, God, that, that you're honored and you're blessed, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's read a little bit. We get to read about Saul going to the bathroom. So uh, it's in this first part here. Fun stuff. When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness near en So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's fit young men and went to look for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there and he went in to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they said to David, look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, as the Lord is my witness, I would never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. And with these words, David persuaded his men and he did not let them rise up against Saul. Okay, so what's happening in chapter 24 is this. There's going to be two different instances where David has, it would be so easy. David has the opportunity to kill Saul. And it seems like the perfect opportunity for David to end all this, right? It's all gonna be done. Look, Saul is right there. You can sneak up on him. You can take his life and you can end this whole thing. But what we're going to see in this chapter and in the next chapter is though this would have been a, a, it would have been very tempting to take it into your own hands and solve this problem. David cared more about honoring God than he cared about what he wanted. And so something we learn is something that is a very, very important principle in Christianity. We are not to respond to the troubles in the world, the adversity in the world, like the culture of the world responds to problems. We're to be faithful and we're to trust that God will vindicate us, that God will take care of the problem, that we don't have to take it into our own hands, that if we're just faithful to God, we trust in God that God will take care of the situation. So, after Saul had gone and dealt with the Philistines, he enlists 3,000 of the best young men to be soldiers to join him and the, the, the people he already had to join him in pursuing David. They're traveling near an area called En-Gedi and Saul's like, hey, you know, can we pull over? I gotta, I gotta use it. And so they pull over in this area by these sheep pens. He probably didn't speak just like that, but he pulled over in this area by these sheep pens. There was a cave right there and Saul goes in to, to, as the Bible says, relieve himself. And so amazingly enough, again, like a movie, amazingly enough, the one cave that he chooses to go use the bathroom in, there is David with his 600 men hiding out in the recesses of the cave. And so they see him and and Saul is sitting there. I, I imagine sitting. Whatever he, It doesn't say if he was doing like the short thing or the long thing, but he, he had to be there for at least a little bit of time because David and his men were talking, right? Having a conversation as this is going on. And so Saul is in there taking care of things. David and his men are back there. And David's men go, hey, this is it. Here's your opportunity, go kill him. He's by himself, he's distracted. You can go take care of this right now. They even took a prophecy. And most scholars, they, they don't even know where they're, they're getting this from. And I've, I, I researched it. They're not even pulling it from a specific place of the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible that, that, that I can find. But But they say, look, man, you can even fulfill the prophecy that God gave you, that God will hand your enemy over to you and you can do whatever you want to him. So there's all this peer pressure. We find David in a place that we have been in many, many times, right? Where there's this this adversity in front of us and we have all these people talking to us go, man, just do this, do this, do this, do this. Isn't it funny? The ones who are always telling us to go do that are the ones who are not willing to go do it themselves. Do this, take care of him, take care of him. Not just that, they were twisting the words of God to fit their situation. And and you guys have heard this a lot too, man. We take a lot of scripture way out of context and we try to make it say things that it's not really saying in the Bible. Philippians four is a good one. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You'll see that on like posters for basketball players. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can play basketball, right? Or you'll see this for like a job promotion or someone will post it on their Facebook. Man, you know, got a raise because I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. That scripture has nothing to do with any of those things. That scripture is about, I can be persecuted and almost die and not give up on my faith in Jesus Christ. That's what that scripture is about in Philippians. But we twist it because we like to take things out of the Bible, out of context and kind of of manipulate it to fit our current situation. And that's what people are doing here. And that's not the way to handle adversity. The first thing is, is we have to pray for wisdom in those times, listen to God, not others, right? I mean, we can listen to godly counsel, but you don't understand what I'm saying. We listen to to God's will, and we need to correctly lean on the Bible. Read the Bible in its proper context to get wisdom from it. So, while Saul was using the restroom, David creeps up and cuts off a corner of his robe. Now, when I read this, that seems like, I'm serious, that sounds like a perfect solution. He's not gonna kill Saul, but he's going to prove to Saul, look, man, like God's on my side, not yours. I, I could have killed you, but I chose not to. I'm the one that holds the power here. It seems like an extremely good decision, you know, from my vantage point. But after David does this, it says that David's conscience bothered him. He felt guilty about this. He didn't feel right about cutting off the corner of Saul's robe. Why? It doesn't seem like that much of a big deal. Well, the reason why David felt bothered is because all throughout the scripture, the Bible tells us that it is not our place to dethrone God's anointed leaders. It is not our place to do that. So Saul's robe was symbolic of his kingship, that God had made him king. And by cutting off a piece of that robe was a direct attack to Saul's authority. Also, at the bottom of the robe of of God-ordained leadership, they had tassels. That's a Levitical thing. We'll talk about that one of these days. But when he cut that off, he would have removed one of those tassels. And that would have been something that would would have defiled him in front of God. And it was not David's place to defile him in front of God. It was not David's place to attack his authority. God had placed Saul in leadership and God would remove Saul from leadership. Now, look, that brings us to a tough conversation, does it not? Because in our world today, it's very difficult for us to not only respect, but to to go further than respect and honor the governing authority like the Bible tells us to do because our governing authority is not always honest. Are governing, and I'm not talking about a specific person. I'm not talking about this president or the former president, or I'm just saying governments in general, that they are not always trustworthy. They're not always for the people. They're not always the kind of people that we aspire to be, but the Bible says we are to honor them. And when we look at this, we say, well, Corey, I mean, look at how bad things are. Look at Saul. He was awful, terrible, If you get into the New Testament, Peter says to pray for the emperor. The emperor crucified Peter upside down. Paul says to respect the governing authorities. The governing authorities cut his head off. But this is what the Bible tells us to do, to honor the governing authorities while still trusting that God is in control, that God knows what he's doing. Is that easy? Of course it's not easy, but it's what God calls us to do and it's what David does in this moment. We're gonna see it even more In this next part, then Saul left the cave and went on his way. After that, David got up, went out of the cave and called to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of people who say, look, David intends to harm you? You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. Someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you and said, I will not lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointed. Look, my father, look at the corner of your robe in my hand, for I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. Recognize that I've committed no crime or rebellion, I haven't sinned against you, even though you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord take revenge on you for me. But my hand will never be against you. As the old proverb says, wickedness comes from wicked people. My hand will never be against you. Who has the king of Israel come after? What are you chasing after? A dead dog, a single flea? May the Lord be judge and decide between you and me. May he take notice and plead my case and deliver me from you. So again, look at this. So after David persuaded his men, hey, we're not gonna kill Saul. We're not gonna get in a fight right here. We're not gonna do that. Saul gets done doing with you know, whatever he's doing. He leaves the cave. And after he leaves the cave, David walks out. His men probably thought he was nuts. But David walks out after Saul. And I imagine they were they were probably yelling distance away from each other. I don't know how long it would be, maybe from that wall to this wall. But they're a little bit of a distance from each other. And David yells out at Saul, my Lord, the king. And it says, after this, he, he went down to the ground, put his face to the ground and paid homage to the king think about what a vulnerable, vulnerable position David has placed himself in. This is the guy who has been hunting you down, wanting to kill you. And now you are face down, right? In the most vulnerable position you can possibly be in. Maybe not as vulnerable as Saul was in the cave, but in a vulnerable position with his face down to the ground and he's paying him respect and homage. You know what we learned from this? And guys, this is, these two blue words appear very, 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 very important. As Christians in 2024, you and I have to be advocates. We have to be people who display respect, respect, it's a good word, and decency, decency. What that means is consideration. What that means is how we talk to other people, how we respond when people talk to us in a certain way, our kindness, our gentleness, our class, right? That's a good word. Do we have that still in the United States? Class, decency, that these are things that Christians should be purveyors of, advocates of, people who exercise respect and decency. That's to all people. Corey, you're saying I'm supposed to respect all people? All people, because they're humans made in the image of God, right? And we treat them decently, even if they don't treat us with decency. That's what we are supposed to do. And when we live like that, we not only illuminate the light of Christ because these two words are very, very rare in our culture. Not only do we illuminate Christ, we build bridges between people. We connect with people, courteous, considerate, Things like this, these are things that Christians need to display. We will never be able to connect people to a loving God if we do not show loving attributes to them. Do you hear me? We have to treat people well, all people. We have to treat them well. It doesn't mean we agree with everything everyone does. David didn't agree with everything Saul did, but he respected him. He showed decency to him. And so after Saul found out, David goes, hey, Saul, look, look, I got a corner of your robe. I could have killed you. I could have attacked you. And then David goes, why do you keep listening to people who tell you that I want to hurt you? I could have hurt you, but I didn't hurt you. Why do you keep listening to these divisive voices that perpetuate hatred and fear and division? Why do you listen to them? And that brings us to something we talk about a lot in this room, that we must be cautious who we let speak into our lives. We need to be cautious where we get our information from, cautious as to who we take advice from, very cautious as to who shapes our character. I was talking to a guy last night. He's a, he's a, 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 one of the deans at MTSU. He comes here, very smart man, good guy. And I, I, I taught last night and he says, Corey, have you ever heard of the mean syndrome? And I was like, I haven't, what is the mean syndrome? He goes, it's exactly what you're talking about. There was a study done about 14 years ago and they made a short documentary about it in and in a, in a research paper about it, that when people watch extreme news way left or way right, that it actually causes aggression in their brain to spike out of control. And they start to look at the world like everyone is mean. That's actually a, a, a syndrome that people develop from watching extreme parts of the news And so I say that to you to to say, even even not just people in our lives, but influences like like culture and, and media, we need to be very careful because you know those people make a living off of scaring you and dividing you. And so if you turn on the news and watch it for any length of time, all these conspiracies and hatred and everyone hates each other and every white person's a racist and every black person wants to throw a brick through your window and everyone's mad at each other and we all hate each other. And then you get out in the real world and if you actually talk to normal people, 99% of everyone's pretty cool. We need to be careful who we let speak into us. But when there is adversity towards us, if we will keep a level head and if we will just rely on the truth, we will diffuse divisiveness. When someone, you know, just like David said, they're all, Saul, they're all telling you that I want to hurt you. Look, I don't want to hurt you. I have a piece of your robe. I could have hurt you, but I didn't hurt you. The truth diffused the situation. It de-escalated the situation. That's what truth does. It sets people free. It It doesn't enslave people. It lets them free. And so David says, look at the corner of your robe. And though David was advised to kill Saul, David had a personal relationship with God. So he got his wisdom from God. He got his ability to discern and make godly decisions because he has because he had a relationship with God, and he calmly proved his innocence. This is very important. Look at this. If we have a relationship with Christ, we find wisdom in security. These are two very very important things: wisdom, in security. In wisdom, we make good choices. Uh, One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of wisdom. It's the only gift of the Holy Spirit, unless I'm wrong. I've studied it quite a bit. It's the only gift of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says you will assuredly be given if you ask for it. God wants you to be wise, right? So in wisdom, we make better choices. It's pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory. When we're wise, we make better choices. When we're secure in our relationship with God, not, not confident in who we are, but confident in who God is, and when we're confident in our relationship with God and we understand that we're valued and loved, look at this. When we live in security, we don't have to get offended so easily. Man, do you, do you Christians hear me? We don't, as Christians, we don't have to walk around in offense all the time. Oh, those people disagree with me, I'm so offended. Brother, sister, if you can't handle that, you might as well not ever go back outside again. We don't need to be offended that easily. We don't need to get sidetracked and caught off guard so easily if we are living in the security of our relationship with Jesus. Wisdom and security. So here's what David does. David says, Saul, I've done everything that I know to do. This is, I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing. He goes, I've showed you kindness. I could have killed you, but I didn't. I've listened to God. I have not disrespected your authority, any of that. And at this point, David throws up his hands and he goes, now God has to judge you and me. God has to be the one to deliver me from you. God has to be the one to look at this situation and make something happen. And we talked about this two weeks ago, and this is a very, very important principle. If we do everything we're supposed to when it comes to conflict, if we do everything we're supposed to and how we treat others, if we are living by the principles that, that, that God has told us to live by, the results of that are out of our hands. If I share the truth with you and love, and I tell you that God loves you, but, but there's some sin you need to repent for and some changes you need to make in your life. If I tell you that, that's my responsibility. But what you decide to do after that is not my responsibility, it's your responsibility. And so David is saying, Saul, I've done everything that God has told me to do with you. Now at this point, it's up to you. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter three that we plant, that we water, but it's God that has to make something happen. It is then God's decision to judge what is right and wrong and to deliver people and to help people through. All we can do is be responsible for the things that God wants us to be responsible for, to plant and to water. But if something's going to happen, Paul says, God will, God will make those things happen. He has the ability to make those things happen. So will we see resolution with Saul and David? Let's see. When David finished saying these things to him, Saul replied, is that your voice, David, my son? Then Saul wept aloud and said, David, you are more righteous than I for you have done what is good to me, though I have done what is evil to you. You yourself have told me today what good you did for me when the Lord handed me over to you, you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go unharmed? May the Lord repay you with good for what you've done for me today. Now I know for certain you will be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Therefore, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David swore to Saul, look at this last sentence, remember this last sentence. Then Saul went back home And David and his men went up to the stronghold. They still went different directions, okay? Remember that, that's very, very important. So what is the response of this evil, jealous, really, really bad king? His response is actually very sincere. He is broken, right? And he acknowledges that he is broken. And he confesses to David, you are more righteous than I am. You have done what's good to me, but I have done what's evil to you. He admits all this. Why all of a sudden? The reason why is because Saul just realized he was that close to being killed. Let let me put it in modern day uh, kind of terms. You know, right when you're about to get hit by a truck on the road, it's funny, even people who don't claim to believe in God, God usually comes out of their mouth or Jesus comes out of their mouth Oh, Jesus, oh God, something like this, right? What happens is, is when we're real close to something tragic happening, or maybe something tragic does happen, it's very easy to call on a bigger source, right? We're very aware of of how sinful we've been. When we're close to eternity, it's easy to think about eternity. It's easy to think about the sin that may be in our life, the things that we have to change, the things that we need to be doing differently. That's where Saul was. David's holding up a piece of his robe, going, You could have been dead. And Saul's like, Man, I was on the threshold of eternity. So he was very, very repentant. And unfortunately, we often do things like this. I've done things like this. Unfortunately, what a lot of people do is we live our life however we please, we're selfish. We go to church when it's convenient. Not you guys, you're here when it's, you know, subarctic temperatures outside. Praise God, you're a great group. But we live life however we wanna live it. We do whatever we wanna do. And when something gets rattled in our life, then we're like, God, I'm so bad, help me, help me. See, what has happened for, for I've seen this more times than I, can, than I can count in this church over the last 15 years. Uh, a Very similar story to this. So a guy will come in, right? um, And he'll come into church and his wife has been coming here for years and his kids have been coming here for years, but he would never come to church with his wife. She would beg him to come and and he would be too busy with work. He would neglect the children. He would neglect his relationship with his wife, neglect his relationship with God, do all these things for years and years and years and years. A wife puts up with it. And then eventually she says, I'm gone, I'm out. And she leaves. And then I say, I, I see this guy come into the church And he says, I'm so wrong, I need help. My life is falling apart. God help me, Corey help me, church help me. And we say, yes, that's what we're here for. Okay, let's let's pray with you. Let's get you plugged into a small group. Let's find you some community. Let's get you and your wife in here and let's do counseling for you guys and let's get it back together. And they start to do all that. And then all of a sudden I see the, the whole family come into church and they're here every single weekend. And then what happens is, is things get back to normal. And they become placid and sports come in and job comes back in and vacations come back in and all these things start to come back in. And that family that I would see that God had miraculously put back together, that family that I would see every week, I now see every other week. And then I see them once a month. And then maybe I only see them at Easter or Christmas. And then I see on Facebook that they are in fact divorced. Because what happens is this, Real Christians lean on God when it's hard. They also lean on God when it's easy. The majority of people do not walk away from the Lord when it's hard. The majority of people walk away from the Lord when it's good. That's why Christianity in the United States is sinking. Because we've had it too easy for too long. We haven't had to fight for anything. We're the most entitled, spoiled group of brats on planet Earth. And when we have everything and more, why would we need God? We have the government. We have everything else to bail us out and help us, right? Why do we need it? The God of of, of our generation is self. It's us. But the true Christian leans on God, not just when it's bad, but also when it's good. So look at this. It seems like Saul has has turned a corner, right? Right? So Saul, it says he goes back to the palace. And at this point, David could have been like, man, Saul's really humbled himself. Looks like we're okay. I'll go back to the palace. He even says I should be king. Look at that, he just said that. I'll go back with Saul and I'll just be back there. But he didn't. It says that David went a different direction. He went back to the strongholds, the oasis. That's where he he would talk to, to, to God and they still went their different directions. Why didn't David go back? Because even though David was being gentle, even though David was being loving and compassionate and spared Saul's life, he knew, listen to me, he knew that even though he loved Saul, there were certain places that David shouldn't be because it was dangerous. He was wise enough to not go back to the place where a king threw spears at him multiple times. Do you hear me? It's a, there, there's a lesson in this that we are to be gentle, we are to be loving, but hear me, there are certain places that the Christian just shouldn't go. There are certain things that the Christian shouldn't partake in. There are certain things that we shouldn't dance around with and flirt with because they will break up your marriage. They will ruin your life. They will put a distance between you and God. I'm a 44-year-old man, and this doesn't really apply to me because I don't work in this environment, but If I'm a middle-aged man, right? I I have a wonderful marriage, beautiful wife, two beautiful daughters. But let's say I'm working in a corporate office in a cubicle and there's a recently divorced mid-30 something year old girl. She's really pretty. Just went through an ugly divorce and she comes by my cubicle every day. Hey, Corey, how are you doing? Hey, Susan. If your name's Susan, I don't... Sorry, I just had to think of an arbitrary name. Hey, Susan, good to see you. But every single day, Now listen, I can be gentle and I can be nice. Hello, I don't need to go to lunch with that girl. Do you hear me? I don't need to have long conversations at the water cooler with that girl. That girl doesn't need my phone number. There is wisdom. Do I show love and grace? Man, will I pray for her after she went through the nasty divorce? Well, of course I will. Will I go to lunch with her and take her out in my car? Of course not. Because there are some things that if we're not careful, We will cross a line into dangerous territory that can rip life apart. That's not just with situations like that. That's with all kinds of situations in your life. This is why Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, to be wise as a serpent. Use your brain, use your brain. That's why God gave you a brain. This is why some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are knowledge and wisdom and discernment. That we are to be wise as a serpent, Jesus said, but harmless as a dove. Gentle, loving, caring, but wise. Wise in what we do and how we live. So it's all gonna be okay, right? Well, as we're gonna find out, no, it's not. Saul hasn't changed. And David had the ability to discern that, that he hadn't changed. And here's what happened. Saul was near death, right? Near death. He was about to collide with death. But listen, but as time passed, the intensity of that tragedy got less and less and less and less. I tell my testimony every single month, next class. I do that every single month. And I'm really glad that I do that. I do not love telling my testimony. I know that sounds like a weird thing to say because I did a lot of awful things when I was younger. But you know what the blessing is about, about being required to tell my story at least once a month is I don't forget. I don't forget how much of a dirtbag piece of garbage I used to be. But Saul, over time, he forgot. And his brush with death became further away and he slipped right back into sin. One of the greatest enemies of Christianity, one of the greatest enemies of humanity is Apathy. It is that placid coasting that is dangerous. Like I said earlier, some may lose sight of God during tragic times, but the vast majority of us, we will lose sight of God when times are really, really good. That's when we get, that's when we get, get, get apathetic. That's when we get lazy. That's when we start to forget what God has done in our life practical stuff. You guys ready? Real practical. It's going to be so practical. It's just going to blow your mind with the practicality we're going to talk about this morning. Okay. You and I live in what may be one of the most confusing, distracting times in human history. We are arguing about things that only a hundred years ago, if you would have said it to people, they would have been like, what? We we, we live in extremely confusing times. Very difficult, even for Christians to know what decisions we're supposed to make. And the reason why it's gotten increasingly tough even for Christians is because a lot of the world's confusion has crept right into the church. And even the church doesn't have good answers. They should, but even the church a lot of times doesn't have good answers for society's questions. So here's the thing. When we walk in a relationship with God, And we do that through praying and we do that through the word of God. This is very important. Whenever people say, well, God doesn't speak to me, this is God speaking to us, okay? It's the word of God. Whenever we walk in a relationship with God through praying and through reading the word of God, we walk in the wisdom of God because that is a gift that he wants us to have. He wants us to have wisdom. We walk in in wisdom and we have the ability to discern the direction we are to go. We see this in David, and we will see it in our own lives if we have that consistent relationship with God. Now, when we have that relationship with God, this is very important. How we view God determines how we view ourselves. It is impossible to really know our worth and our value unless we understand it in the context of creator creation. And when I know who God is, I know who I am, listen, and when I know who I am and that God valued me and loved me even while I was still a sinner, this will change how we treat each other because God loves you even if you're in sin. Doesn't mean that he agrees with that. We need to repent of that, but he loves you. He wants to be with you, right? That, 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 that even though I may disagree with how you live, I know that every single person is made in the image of God and we are called to be the salt and light to those people, to love those people. So, how we view God determines how we view ourselves. How we view ourselves determines how we view each other. This is why Jesus said, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay? And when we submit to God's will and we seek God first, like David has done in the last two chapters, we live in, here's this word again, the security and confidence of his guidance. And when we live in that security, it enables us not only to make wise decisions for ourselves and, and to live a life that is blessed, when we live in the security of God, we live a life that also blesses other people. It also blesses those around us. And when we're living a life that honors God and honors other people, we can handle conflict that comes up. So, a relationship with Jesus enables us to handle offense. If if we have offended someone, James says that we're to go to them and ask for their forgiveness. Simple. And after that, what their response is, it's not up to us anymore. It's out of our hands. And if someone has committed an offense against us, Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 tells us how to deal with offense. It says to go one on one, right? One on one. Not text not send an email, not gossip, not talk about it on social media. Jesus, in other words, says, be a big boy, be a big girl. And if someone has upset you, look at them in the eyes and tell them that. The majority of the problems and the tensions that most of us feel would be resolved if we were just man or woman enough to address the person face-to-face. Jesus says, if that doesn't work, get a third person. If that doesn't work, get a fourth person. If that doesn't work, go to the church. Now, there's nothing wrong with going through those steps. Jesus tells us to do that. You will probably never even make it to the step of going to the church if you go through the first three. It'll probably never even happen. But this is how we, we deal. When we have a relationship with God, we can deal with external conflict. Not just external conflict, we can start to learn to deal with internal conflict that if I am struggling with adversity in my life personally, or if I am struggling with laziness and apathy in my life, we will be able to handle the internal conflict if we are praying, if we are reading the word of God, if we are in good community. We can handle external conflict and internal conflict. We can even learn to handle evil people, people that are downright evil. How do we do that? How do we handle evil in the world? Jesus said it, right? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. It means that we live in that balance of being kind, being loving, being merciful and gentle, all those things, but also knowing that there is a danger out there. Also knowing that there is temptation out there. Also knowing that there are some places where maybe it's not safe for us to go, that we shouldn't do it. It's living in the balance of those two things. And the only way that we can live in that balance is if we live in a relationship, not just with God, the father, Jesus, the son, but also the Holy Spirit. Because it is through the Holy Spirit that we get the gift of wisdom that they get the gift of knowledge, that we get the gift of discerning if something is right and wrong. And then we also hold that up to the truth of his word. Okay, so what are some simple steps we can do? I told you practical, here we go. The first simple step is this, and before these first two blue words, I should have thrown in another word, we need to make sure that we are living repentant. What that means is, is when we sin, we need to repent. Repenting is not something you just do one time in your life. It is a lifestyle. That when we fall short of what we're supposed to do, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. I want to turn from that. Because here's the thing. If we don't repent for sin, when we pray and when we read the word of God, it's going to be convoluted. It's going to be, it's going to be confusing to us because there's unaddressed sin in our heart. So the first thing we need to do, we need to repent. We need to have a prayer life. And we need to be learning the word of God, ingesting the word of God, putting it in our hearts, in our minds. When we pray, this is good advice, practical, good advice, that when we pray, you need to specifically ask God for wisdom. If you've ever sent me a message saying, Corey, what can I pray for you for? And a lot of you have done that and I appreciate that. All of you can attest that I will respond first with wisdom. Pray that God gives me wisdom. Listen, every single one of you in this room, if you pray, I hope you pray, every single time you pray, you should slip that in there. God, just please give me wisdom today. The Bible assures us that when we ask for it, He will give it to us. If you're a young person in here, see if you're young, the only way to get wisdom, you haven't had time to accumulate it, it has to be a gift. Pray for God to give it to you, and even at a young age, you can be wise. Pray for the gift of discernment, the ability to to be in a situation and know what is of God and not of God. Specifically ask for those gifts. Another simple thing we can do is whenever the next time is that you have conflict, use the Jesus model of resolving that conflict. If someone offends you at work or ticks you off at work, go to them directly. Go to them, of course, with gentleness and also with wisdom And just tell them, hey, I was upset by this. Can we talk about it? If that doesn't work, get a third party. That doesn't work, get a fourth party. If that doesn't work, then then again, if they're a Christian as well, get the church involved. But go through Jesus's model of conflict resolution. And then the last thing is this, and this sounds so simple. But in every situation in life that we get into, I hope that we would consciously approach that situation with those two things balanced. I'm going to approach this with peace and love and gentleness and mercy, right? I'm going to approach it with all those things, but I'm also going to approach this with practical biblical wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Very simple stuff. But if we would just lean on the Lord, pray for his guidance, pray for his wisdom and love others the way that we want to be loved we we will go into situations with 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 the tools to see resolution and even if we don't see resolution even if that person doesn't want to come to a resolution we can stand before god like david did and said you're the judge god judge me judge them it's up to you now i've done all i can do that we approach every situation like that okay practical stuff right no one's minds are blown But I hope you remember this verse, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Matthew chapter 10. Okay. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you are not a believer or maybe you're a a really new believer and you have questions... Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Amanda is up here. If you have any questions for her, she'd be more than happy to to do her best to help you out. It doesn't matter what it is. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, it doesn't matter what it is, uh, you're welcome to come up here and get prayer. The last thing is, is all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, and the majority of the pillars in this room, there's bread and wine, and that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, communion. Uh, We invite everyone to take that. Everyone can take that. As long as you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you can get that, go back to your seat, take it however you feel comfortable taking it. Please be respectful of others. And eventually uh, uh, Kyle will dismiss us, okay? But let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. Lord, um, I'm sure everyone in this room has been in tense situations that they've had adversity, uh, people in their life that have caused tension. And I just pray, Lord, whatever situations we're in, God, that we would approach it with gentleness and meekness and love, though we would also approach it, God, with wisdom and discernment. Father, I pray that you protect everyone, God, this week. I pray, Lord, that that we would continue to grow as we're doing this fast with you, Lord, that our relationship with you would get stronger. Keep your hand on our church, Lord. Keep your hand on all of us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you so much. You're welcome to help yourself.